You are listening to Meet the Thriller Author, the podcast where I interview authors of mysteries, thrillers, and suspense books. I'm your host, Alan Peterson, and this is episode number 92. So I'm recording this intro on Tuesday, March 24th, 2020. Needless to say, the world has gone a bit crazy in the last few weeks. Uh, here in San Francisco, we've been in a city order shelter in place edict going on two weeks now. So aside from uh, going out to get some exercise, some fresh air, walking the dogs, or to hit the grocery store, my wife and I have uh, been pretty much staying indoors. She set up uh, office space in the uh, dining room while I'm in my usual writing space uh, office here in our house. Uh, we're lucky. Uh, we're doing well. And it hasn't been that bad working from uh, at home for both of us. And our two dogs are loving it. I hope things are going well for you and your family and your loved ones too. Uh, hopefully this podcast can offer you some respite from all that's going on out there. But I did want to read this uh, quick PSA. So we all know that COVID-19, better known as coronavirus, has spread throughout the world. Now, there are a few ways to help lower the spread of the respiratory disease. Wash your hands. Avoid touching your face, including mouth, nose, and eyes. Uh, cover your coughs and sneezes. Monitor your symptoms and consult with your doctor. Uh, stay home and away from other sick people, except for medical care and clean and disinfect high-touch surfaces. For more information, please visit cdc.gov COVID-19. Okay, let's get back to the podcast. In this episode, I interviewed the internationally best-selling author of the Orphan X books, Greg Hurwitz. I've been a big fan of his books and of that series, so I was very excited when he agreed to come on to the podcast. So here we go, episode number 92 with Greg Hurwitz. Well, hi, everybody. This is Alan with Meet the Thriller Author. And on the phone, I have uh, Greg Hurwitz. Uh, so uh, happy to uh, have you on the podcast. How are you doing today, Greg? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Oh, yeah. Thank you for uh, coming on. So I want to ask you right off the bat. So uh, what made you to start writing? Oh, man. It's the only way that my brain ever worked. So when I was a kid, we were not allowed to watch television in my house, which was a travesty. I was so upset about it. But what that meant was that we just read all the time, my sister and I. We'd go to the library, check out books that just, you know, stacked up all the way to our chins. And so reading was sort of my, it was a perfect match for the way that my brain functioned. I thought in stories, and I I still remember having a conversation with my sister when I was a kid, because I wrote my first little mysteries and illustrated them with crayons when I was in fifth grade. And I remember asking her when she was going to write her book. Because I just assumed that anybody who loved stories would want to be a writer also, because it was just the only way that I ever sort of encountered or filtered the world. Um, and she, you know, she's now a doctor. And she <laughs> kind of looked at me sideways and said, well, no, I just like reading. I don't actually want to be a, a writer. So I think it was just the default, the, the you know, factory issue software default for my brain. Yeah, and you have a very impressive academic background. Um, I, I was reading on your website, you had a, you have a master's in Shakespearean tragedy. Is that from all that love to reading, you just wanted to, when you decided to go to school, you, you, you went into that type of uh, those studies? Yeah, well, I was an undergrad. I studied English and psychology because I thought that would be the best combination of, you know, fields of study. It's always funny, like when you look back, when I was doing it, I was just choosing the things that I loved the most and that interested me the most. But I look back in hindsight, I did a lot of work with um, Freud and Jung and Shakespearean tragedy. And of course, with Freud, you read those short, you read his, um, the, the, the patient, the case studies that he wrote up, and they're like these perfect little short stories, right? And Carl Jung never really wrote, everything he wrote about was about story and storytelling. Um, Joseph Campbell, you know, is sort of like just the cliff notes 
young, and then you look at Shakespearean tragedies, and they're they're among the first thrillers. They're these very structured, convention-bound tales of lust, intrigue, and murder, right? That are based on sort of pre themes and motifs that were already familiar to him. And so when I look, I just chose all these things because I really love them. But when I look back on it, in hindsight, it all made sense that I was obviously following all these things that I love into my, you know, into this field that I work in. And so you always, uh, ever since you were uh, uh, young, you've been wanting to be a writer. It's always been in the back of your head, even when you're going through these studies. Oh, yeah. I mean, I started my first novel when I was 19. I was an undergrad. Um, And I had a lot of luck early and, you know, sold it when I was, when I was, God, I think 22, 23 years old, maybe. Um, And so, you know, I was given a very fortunate opportunity to be able to write full time almost right out of school. And was that also was your first novel? Was it also in the in the in the thriller type genre? Or? Yeah, it was called The Tower. You know, I wrote part parts of it. I wrote when I was nineteen years old, and it's funny because on the one hand, I was so fortunate to be able to get that first book published, and by the other hand, token, um, you know, it's like no one should ever be held accountable for anything that they thought when they were nineteen. <laughs> and I have, I have some stuff published from that age. Um, it was a very dark, twisty little serial killer novel called The Tower. And were you always a fan of the of the genre as a reader? Yeah, I mean, I was heavy into Stephen King, uh, you know, when I was in fifth grade. I remember reading under my bed with a flashlight. <laughs> Salem's Lot, in particular, just scared the hell out of me. I loved Pet Cemetery, um, that whole early run. I was very into Peter Benchley, too, who wrote Jaws and The Island and The Deep. Um, so I was I was very much drawn to stuff that was twisty and and turny and dark and you know Stephen King in particular was a very big influence. I remember just thinking how amazing it was that he could put this you know combination of familiar words down in an unfamiliar way on the page and elicit so much emotion in me. I thought it was the kind of magic trick I wanted to learn. Yeah, I love his book on on writing. That's a, such a great book on for for aspiring writers. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you've written, uh, I didn't realize you'd written co- comic books, uh, screenplays, uh, you've written just a, 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 and all the mediums out there. Do you find the approach, is it similar or is it a very different when you're writing like for a comic book or a screenplay or a, or a novel? Well, they're all different muscles. I mean, it helps very much to be in shape overall. But, you know, writing a comic's a bit of a different muscle than writing a script is different than writing a TV pilot. So, so they, they draw on different things, but they can all inform each other. And, and obviously what underscores them all, the foundations are understanding of character and tone and language. Those are common, but there's, there's different constraints and different opportunities in all the forms. So Into the Fire is the latest Orphan X novel. Um, such a, I love that series. Uh, <laughs> uh, can you tell us, uh, for listeners, if they're not familiar with the, with the latest, uh, can you tell us about the Into the Fire? Yeah, well, Orphan Act is the character who's, who's the protagonist of my last five books. And I, you know, he was taken out of a foster home at the age of 12 and trained in a, in a very dark program in the DOD to be a government assassin because they were trying to take these kids and train them to be fully dispensable weapons. And he became an amazing assassin, um, all sorts of training. And at a certain point, left the program, uh, went on the run, from the government who trained him uh, and who now needs him dead because he doesn't just know where all the bodies are buried. He buried most of them himself. 
and now he's got this 1-800 number. It's one eight five five to nowhere, which you can call yourself. And people who are in desperate need can get a hold of this phone number, and they call him. And when they call him and he answers, um, he will come to help people who have nowhere else to turn. And so Into the Fire uh, is the newest, and the phone rings, and it's a guy who called him. His name is Max Merriweather. And Max had gotten an envelope from his from his very successful cousin. He's sort of the black sheep in a, in a big family with lots of successful business people. And his cousin gives him this envelope and says, look, if anything ever happens to me, open this envelope, um, which is a story that we've all seen a bunch of times. And what usually happens is, is the hero goes on and vanquishes his foes, and you never have to think about the poor bastard who got this envelope. But in my story, what happens is, is, his, is his cousin is brutally murdered, and Max opens the envelope, and it contains a single key. And through a series of events, he gets a hold of that one eight five five to nowhere phone number, and he calls Evan, and Evan comes in to help him because there's this crew of people who are who are murdering their way to to Max, and Evan has to figure out how to protect him and find out what the hell is going on. And it's a it, it's a book that starts really small and intimate, and then what Evan's confronting. It's like the mask keeps sliding off to reveal something bigger and more ominous beneath. And so the stakes just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I set a challenge for myself with this book to put him in the most dangerous and precarious position he's ever been in in the series. And sure enough, that happens right around chapter 44 here. He winds up in a position that, you know, I wrote him into the kind of corner that I wasn't sure if I could write my way out of. Yeah, I was going to say, you really put, not, not that he's had a walk in the park in the other books, but you really put him through the ring on this one. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, this one's, this one's pretty brutal. And there's a lot of, you know, one of the things that interests me so much with Orphan X is that he's a character who lives in the real world with you and I. So, we, you know, we never get to see James Bond go home or Jason Bourne have an awkward encounter right, with a single mother and, you know, or get pulled into his, an HOA meeting in the condo he lives in. And so Evan is one of these archetypal characters who I grew up loving, you know, like Jack Reacher or Joe Pike or, you know, Bond or Bourne. Um, but he lives in the same world that we do. And so the vacillation between that sort of classic um, lone wolf assassin type character uh, contrasted with him trying to figure out how to function in everyday life is where a lot of the fun of the series comes for for me. Yeah, that's what really blew me away when I first read uh, Orphan X was that was that because you really don't like you mentioned you don't read that in the other novels and you're like you know he dealing with uh, Mia's uh, son and and every it's like yeah like everyday life was that something that you before you started to write the series or the first book were you thinking about that from the beginning? Well, I took a lot of time. You know, I was a fr- I had a concept for this book, but I was a little bit afraid of it, and I wanted to wait. I wrote like three or four other books first and just let it keep percolating on a back burner because I really wanted to write something that I thought might be worthy of being on a shelf with these characters we love, you know, like Jack Reacher or Harry Bosch. Um, And that was one of the breakthrough realizations that I had was I wanted him to you know, he's, he's got, he's OCD, he lives his life by the Assassin's Ten Commandments. But I thought, what about if we meet him right when he's trying to kind of shatter through the way he's always lived and the rules that have always bound his life? And he's trying to shatter through into a new understanding of himself. And that's constantly contrasted with these interactions he has with the single mother district attorney who lives downstairs from him, you know, who he's got chemistry with. But if she ever knew what he did for a living, she'd have to arrest him. And she's got an eight-year-old boy, Peter, who's very much in his, 
you know, has echoes of, of his own kind of foster home slash orphan upbringing. And there's all these different opportunities to, to, to hold these mirrors up to him as he's trying to forge his way to a new understanding and to try to learn, you know, what the strange language is of intimacy that he never had in his life before. So there's a lot more room for some of that texture, I think. And when I realized that that was a key component of the series, I was finally ready to start typing in earnest. And do you do a lot of, uh, do you like outline your stories beforehand or do you start writing these? Or? Not in full. I have a sort of rolling outline, as I call it, which is just a big collection of bullet points. And I, I kind of shape up the next chunk of what I'm writing out of the clay of that outline as I go. Um, so the outline tends to live and breathe and grow along with the book that I'm writing until at the end, you know, it's all been absorbed into the novel. So I need to keep the, I need to keep the outline and the outline stage sort of fluid throughout the writing to make sure that I always have room to respond and to learn more from the story and the characters as I'm writing them. And as I had read that you put a lot of, do a lot of research, like you actually have fired all the weapons that Evan has fired. Uh, so you, every book you, you, you put in a lot of research beforehand? Yeah, I did, you know, I did a lot of mixed martial arts fighting, um, you know, to train for that, which is not to imply I'm any good at it. Um, <laughs> I mostly, you know, go get, go get banged around a lot. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel like if I go out into the field and experience everything myself, I can write about it with the kind of telling detail and a, a sort of patina of verisimilitude that really puts the reader there and gives them a front row seat to the action. So that when I'm writing about a gun or a fight or you know hacking or a location or anything that I get into, if I've kind of experienced it myself, I feel like I can write about it in a way that doesn't just make it a conglomeration of all the types of scenes that we might have seen before in popular culture. It, it helps me make it more specific and to bring the reader, you know, to kind of help carry the reader across the suspension of disbelief. Just a quick break here. I want to let you know about a special offer that Amazon is running now, uh, which is uh, very timely for so many of us that are staying at home. So Amazon has given away two free months of the uh, Kindle Unlimited uh, membership instead of the usual 30-day trial. The uh, Kindle Unlimited trial gives you access to over 1 million uh, books, audiobooks, and current magazines. And you don't have to own a Kindle uh, e-reader device. You can access your membership on any device that has the uh, Kindle app. Uh, when your two-month trial uh, ends, you can renew your membership for for $9.99 per month if you want. Uh, you can learn more about that at thrillingreads.com forward slash Kindle 60. That is my affiliate link, which is a great way to support that podcast uh, by for ordering via my link, thrillingreads.com forward slash Kindle 60. And that's the uh, number six zero. It's not spelled out. So thanks for listening and back to the interview with Greg Hurwitz. And so Evan's a big fan of the artisanal vodka. Is that the, was that a little piece of you, or is that, that come from the research? <laughs> you know, if it was me, it would have been bourbon. I'm, I'm primarily a bourbon drinker, but Evan is he's very OCD, and so the vodka represents a real kind of cleanliness for him. It's a, it's the purest spirit, um, and so it's a sort of it's almost like an atonement ritual for him um, of of a way that, you know, he's got the cleanest apartment. He's got, there's no smudges anywhere on any of the counters. He's, he's unbelievably meticulous and fastidious, and vodka is the alcohol that most does that. Um, and so, you know, that's, uh, at the end of the day, every, everything that I do has to be in service of the story. It can't just be the things that I like the most personally, and that's, 
That's what suits him the best. And so what's cool is when I write about some of these vodkas, the sales in their companies go up. I mean, they manage to sell more. So I get lots of gifts from vodka companies around the world of <laughs> some of the world's finest vodkas, which is not a bad perk. Yeah, that's a cool of, bonus. <laughs> uh, of writing a series like this one. <laughs> yeah, because I did the same thing when I was reading, when I read the books. I like I go Google the vodka. <laughs> Yeah, well, you should try some of them. Yeah. They're really good. Are you a vodka drinker yourself? No, no, not really. I'm, yeah, I'm more of a yeah, I mean, I'm more of a beer guy than wine. But yeah, <laughs> um, but, but yeah, the the way you describe it though is chilled. You know, the ice when it's chilled and all that. Yeah, it makes me like, huh? I should actually start to try these again. <laughs> yeah, well, give it a go. Yeah. Yeah. So I had read now that uh, Orphan X is being developed into TV series. Is that uh, any updates on that? <laughs> um, I'm working on that right now. I'm working with a, uh, a screenwriter called Derek Kolstad, who created the John Wick franchise. Um, and we're trying to figure out how to carve it out in a, in a TV. So I'm working hard on that right now. Um, it's still in the development stage, so as soon as that gets uh, further along, I'll be posting updates. And you can find me on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all those places. Right, so I'll be updating that as it goes. Yeah, that'd be great. And yeah, and I, and I read too that you're also working on uh, one of your uh, something, you, the Sweet Girl with uh, Jason Momoa, Marisa Tomei. Can you tell us oh, anything yeah. about that? Yeah, that's that's already shooting. That that'll be out from Netflix in the first quarter of 2021. And that's a screenplay I wrote with uh, a screenwriter called Philip Eisner. It's the first thing I ever co-wrote. Uh, he created, uh, he wrote a, uh, a movie called Event Horizon. He's a magnificent screenwriter. And we worked on this thing together, and we sold it about a year ago, and it's already through production now. It's in post. Uh, Jason Momoa, uh, Marissa Tomei. It's a great little cast, and it'll be kind of a, revenge, a dark revenge thriller from Netflix. No, oh, that sounds awesome. Do you um when you're writing a when you're working like on a screenplay, uh, do you go back and forth like writing reading writing a book and then writing, working on a screenplay, or is it one of the one at a time? Well, sometimes I prefer to do them one at a time, but between this and you know the TV, the script, the comics, the, the other work, I don't I don't fully have the luxury of being able to just focus on one thing at a time in full anymore. But I try and do it for stretches as long as I can manage. And so what's uh, what's next for you and uh, for Evan Smoke? Well, if you read Into the Fire, you know that the last three words sort of put everything we thought we knew about him and his world uh, into question. And so I'm, I'm, we're going to be figuring out and seeing where he goes from there. But that was, that was something that the end of Into the Fire is probably the biggest cliffhanger of any book I've ever written in terms of the whole plot is resolved, but it opens up a whole new kind of understanding of this character. And so we've got to see where that's going to take us. Yeah, what's been the feedback from, uh, from the readers, from your fans about that? Uh, excited about the, the, the new chapters yeah, coming? It's been, it's been a wonderful, it was a great book tour. The reaction's been great. The, the, the reviews have been great. I got to see a lot of readers. It's been very exciting for me to go out and you know, see this character I thought up kind of taking hold out there in the world. It's immensely gratifying. It's what we always hope for as writers. Um, so it's been a really great run, especially with the reception of this book. Yeah, your book's been, they've been published in like so many different languages. I mean, that was got to be surreal to see it uh, in all these different languages. And <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's pretty special. Yeah. 
Um, so, um, any before I let you go, any advice uh, for aspiring writers out there who, uh, who are listening? Well, for your first draft, do not let perfection be the enemy of the good. You know, as, as other people have remarked, you can't fix a blank page. So give yourself permission to just write down, get down a vomit draft, no matter how bad. You can always make it better. And it's really about carving out the time, making that time sacrosanct. Like, there's always going to be other things that are more important or more pressing or more urgent than working on a novel, it seems, or working on day 32 of... 400 to write a rough draft of a novel or whatever it is. And you just have to determine that that time is sacred and be selfish and guarding and protecting it. All right, Greg. Well, thank you so much for, for your time. Really enjoyed reading Into the Fire. It's out now. Uh, we highly recommend it to, uh, to other listeners. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Meet the Thriller Author podcast. Be sure to visit thrillerauthors.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover great thrilling reads. If you enjoy the podcast, I'd love for you to subscribe, uh, rate, and give a review uh, to it, wherever it is that you're listening to this uh, podcast, be it uh, iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, uh, wherever it is that you're uh, listening to this right now, I would appreciate it. And uh, please do check out my own thriller novels over at my website at alanpeterson.com. Until next time.